also I'd love to have a few words with Kim Jong-un, but that's probably another conversation for another podcast. Let's role play. So I'm Kim. Hello. Hi, Ran. What do you say to me? First words. Go for it. First word, I need to know who cuts your hair because I, 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 I need to the same thing. I want to do the same thing. <laughs> Hey there, guys, and welcome back to our Crypto Kung Fu series right here on the Matt Brown Show. So this is our third episode, and it's bound to be an exciting one as I am joined by serial entrepreneur, founder and CEO of OnChain Capital and the host and producer of Crypto Trader CNBC, Ran Neuner, live from New York. So today, we blow open the Pandora's box of what is happening in the world of cryptocurrencies and the blockchain. You know, it is said that we are living in a, fin- a financial revolution uh, brought about by crypto and Bitcoin, and it has become part of a global financial infrastructure. And I couldn't agree more, especially since everyone and their cousin are creating their own currencies these days. So join Rand and I as we dig into some juicy topics as follows. The state of government-driven currencies, the use cases of blockchain military operations, that's a very interesting one, and the role that Bitcoin volatility plays in investing. So listen closely to Rand's views on Craig Wright's multi-billion dollar legal battle. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be on the losing end of a $10 billion lawsuit. Uh-uh. So let's get into it. Without further ado, enter Rand Neuner. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome back to part three of Crypto Kung Fu. And with me on the line, direct and live from New York, is none other then the man himself, Ran Neuner, the founder and CEO of OnChain Capital. And as many of you will know, the host of the first and only televised cryptocurrency show, Crypto Trader on CNBC. Ran, welcome to Crypto Kung Fu, pal. Thank you, buddy. Nice to have you back. Nice to be back and nice to see you again. Yeah, man, it's been a while. Hey, I'm like re- reconnecting with the uh, crypto cats. <laughs> yeah, so, you cool. know, you know, we we love you guys because as crypto starts to move up, everybody wants to reconnect with the crypto cats. We had a very long dark winter where crypto prices were going down. No one wanted to talk to us. Yeah, I know it. W- it wasn't um, an exciting time, as you say, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so what, I think the bear market was a tough time. Yeah, it was a very tough time. Geez, a lot of people lost a lot of money here, yeah? and that's kind of really why I'm de- re- kind of revisiting cr- the crypto space again. You know, on the Matt Brown show. Um, but uh, talk. Let's talk about you know the last eighteen months. Um, what have you? I mean, what's the headline here? around um you know bitcoin obviously we know the price in sort of Jan- january december december 2017 was at about nineteen thousand seven hundred dollars and it's tanked and then it's ran again and it's kind of trading sideways at the moment just the headline right now what do we need to know over the last 18 months what's gone down well i think what you need to know is that you're looking at it quite uh, with the with the wrong eyes and i'll explain to you what i mean you, you mentioned 2017 and 2018, and then you're taking Bitcoin really at the top of its cycle. But remember that Bitcoin 10 years ago was launched at under a cent, and today it's trading at over $10,000. And if you take all the forks, which is actually free coins that you would have got, it's probably trading at about 12 or 13 or maybe even $14,000. Now, another interesting uh, way to look at it is that if you've bought Bitcoin any time in its existing Barring the two months or three months in 2017 and 2018, you're in the money. So you're talking about a 10-year-old asset. And if you bought it at any time other than three or four months in 2017 and 2018, you're well in the money. But let's forget about the, the money part of it because, you know, whereas that's quite cool, it's not the important part of it. The important part of it is that we're undergoing a financial revolution. And every time, you know, if you would have spoken to me two or three years ago, there were these doubts about whether Bitcoin would be adopted and whether Bitcoin would make it. But if we look today, Bitcoin is fast becoming or has become part of the global financial infrastructure of the world. And it's becoming an alternative financial infrastructure for people who want to hedge themselves against government-driven currencies. Now, if you've been following the world markets, you know very well that government, uh, government currencies may be in a little bit of trouble. They're talking about things like negative interest rates. They're talking about printing more money and, and, and high inflation. And all these things can be avoided using Bitcoin. And more and more people are seeing this and the adoption ha- has grown a lot more. I mean, you guys are quite separated, but I spend my days working with companies 
to get them onto the Bitcoin or the new digital asset blockchain ecosystem. And the uptake that we are seeing, both in terms of money flowing into the ecosystem, but more importantly, in terms of institutions and credible financial companies joining in the ecosystem, that's growing every single day. So we're very well, the new financial revolution is very much well underway. Okay, great. That's a, that's a great point of departure for where we're going to go today. And I totally agree with you. I don't see what you see at all. And I think, um, you know, you being based in New York, having, you know, these conversations literally every week with the who's who of the crypto world. Uh, as I say, it's really a privilege to have you on the show today. Um, so. I'm going to remind everybody, and Rand hasn't heard about this yet, but we are trading, actually trading, with a, a whopping amount of money. Rand's probably looking at this laughing. Uh, this is what Rand wipes his ass with every morning is $1,000 bills. But in all seriousness, we are, in fact, asking our guests to trade with real money. So um, yesterday... Uh, Tone Vase asked us to short Bitcoin over a period of a week, which means we now have to reinvest $1,000. So Rand can then run with that and then we'll report back to you guys about where we netted out after seven days. So Rand, why are we doing this is just to prove whether, you know, you can actually be, make money and you know, create financial independence trading cryptocurrency today. So we're just having a bit of fun with some skin in the game. um, And obviously this isn't financial advice. So anyway, moving on to part one, the news. I love these jingles. They're so cool. Hey, can you see my screen, Ren? Yes, of course. Okay, great. So um, we're going to cover some news uh, clips, obviously, being part one of the news. Um, and so this chap, Craig Wright, came up yesterday. And in fact, this exact thing came up yesterday. And the article is entitled, Craig Wright in Discussions to Settle a Multi-Billion Dollar Court Case. Uh, from my understanding uh, yesterday, and we we'll can dive into what the article is kind of alluding to here. But I'm sure you know what this is all about. So I'm not going to try and like balls this up. So why don't you uh, just explain to us, what is this... Um, lawsuit all about? What is it involving? And is he really on the line for $10 billion? So this is a very long and complicated lawsuit. There is a guy whose name is Craig Wright, who claims that he is Satoshi Nakamoto. Um, For many years, he's been claiming that he is Satoshi Nakamoto. And he has been involved in the Bitcoin ecosystem for a very, very, very long time. Now, the, the community, the Bitcoin community, don't believe that he is Satoshi Nakamoto. And they've kind of said to him, look, if you are indeed Satoshi Nakamoto, we know that Satoshi Nakamoto has a whole lot of Bitcoin. Why don't you move some of those Bitcoin and prove to us that you've got the keys to unlock those Bitcoin? Now, this specific case is around a guy called Dave Kleinman, who was apparently Craig Wright's partner in their Bitcoin-related activities. And Dave, Dave Kleinman died of, I think, some kind of virus or something. And Dave Kleinman's family is now suing Craig Wright for 50% of the Bitcoin, which Craig Wright seems to have. Now, this went to court in Florida. Craig Wright lost this case very badly. I, 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 as far as I remember, it was almost kicked out of court where the judge said, you know, like what you're saying just sounds so ludicrous um, that, you know, we're actually kicking this out of court. And the judge, I think, ruled to give the Kleinman family 50% of the Bitcoin. And since the crypto community don't believe that Dave, that uh, Craig Wright is actually Satoshi or actually has access to these Bitcoin, he now has to give up 50% of this huge amount of Bitcoin, which he probably doesn't have access to, but which he told the judge that he would have access to soon. <laughs> That's hilarious. How do you get access to $10 billion in Bitcoin soon? <laughs> so don't, don't quote me exactly on the facts, but as far as I understand, they locked up the keys uh, in such a way that the keys would only be released, uh, I think, sometime next year. And uh-huh. the key, so Craig Wright claims that he's going to get access to the keys sometime next year. It's a, it's a very long and complicated story. Um, it is However, one of the big existential threats to Bitcoin, because Satoshi holds a lot of Bitcoin. Satoshi holds about a million Bitcoin. Now, 
if you think that there's only 21 million Bitcoin that are ever going to be in circulation, and Satoshi owns about 5% of those, if Craig Wright is Satoshi and he has voiced his opinion that he doesn't really like the direction in which Bitcoin is going, then he could sell that on the open market. Now, selling 5% of all Bitcoin on the open market could crash the price. Um, on the other hand, it could be the biggest buying opportunity of Bitcoin in history. Mm. So let's let's watch this one. No one really believes that Craig Wright is Satoshi. Uh, I'm following the story for a long time. Uh, I have my views. Um, and uh, yeah, I think let's just see how this plays out. Yep. Well, let's leave it at that. Um, this one in particular, I thought was quite ironic. So this is on uh, Cointelegraph.com. Basically, the headline here for our listeners is U.S. Army seeks blockchain experts who can trace Bitcoin in real time. And the irony here, and I can see Rand smirking already, and <laughs> but the irony here is that surely Bitcoin should be anonymous. So why is the military looking to trace Bitcoin, quote-unquote? Absolutely not. And this is, this is one of the biggest um, issues around Bitcoin. Everyone says that, you know, Bitcoin is used by criminals to, to do drug deals and, and, and used for a whole lot of illicit activities. But if you think about the medium or the preferred currency of criminals, it's actually this thing called US dollar. And more importantly, it's in cash. And the reason why it's US dollars and cash is because cash is actually really untraceable. If I give you a hundred bucks in cash, then it's untraceable. No one can ever prove that. Unlike that, every transaction on the blockchain is logged and it's transparent for everyone to see, which means that if you do an illicit transaction on the blockchain, we can follow that transaction from the time the transaction was done and until even thousands of transactions later when somebody eventually cashes it out. And so what governments are realizing is that, A, they need to arm themselves for this new world um, where they can use this to, to, to trace transactions, but B, that this is actually much easier to trace than cash and probably a much safer option. Hmm. Very interesting. What do you think, um, this other section to this article um, about uh, the U.S. government buying a lot of blockchain intelligence companies, analytics firms like Chain Analytics, etc. Uh, with your view obviously being at the epicenter of this whole space, I mean, what's your view on the, the use case, you know, I love using that word, the use case for blockchain and military applications? So blockchain is definitely going to be used in many, many military applications, right through from tracing ammunition and logging it on the blockchain so that you can see where ammunition is at all times, so ammunition doesn't get into the wrong hands, that you can see where parts were procured from. Uh, that's one use of it. Uh, I'm very familiar with Chainalysis. Uh, they went through the same accelerator program that we are running blockchain programs with today. And so this is one of the really, really, really amazing companies. What they do is they help people analyze transactions on the blockchain. Um, and so, for example, if I say to you, Matt, where did you get the money from? And you say to me, I don't know. I run a chain analysis and chain analysis will tell me every single step of that money from beginning to end. Now, a lot of banking institutions, what they're doing today is when you deposit money that's related to cryptocurrency, all they do is they run a chain analysis on it. And they tell you exactly how much money you put in, how much money you made, and the thousands of steps that you did along the way. This is really one of the, the, the most incredible companies in the blockchain space. Um, and in, in an indirect way, we are associated with this company. And there are many others like it. And if you think about it, what we're moving towards is we're moving towards a very transparent world where money laundering is going to become a thing of the past because you can actually trace every single transaction. Hmm. Who's driving this specifically i mean is it just governments at the moment or because i'm looking at the idea of kyc and financial institutions institutional banking etc is that where it's going or what, what's driving this sort of chain analysis proposition so there's a massive move around the world as you know for um no more anonymity in money um tax treaties around the whole world fatca and a whole lot of other regulations that want so to, to prevent money laundering and terrorist activities and tax evasion worldwide. Uh, the world's becoming a global place and everyone's starting to work together. Chainalysis is a private company and there are many other private companies like Chainalysis, which are work, which their work is to help people, governments to, uh, in tracing money. Uh, I'll give you a, a very cool example. 
I had some um, people who were uh, pretending to be me on things like Instagram and Facebook, and they were defrauding my user base of millions of dollars. They were pretending to be me. They were sending my user base. They were enticing my user base to send them money, pretending to be me. And my user base did send money, and this was all fraudulent. We use companies like Chainalysis, and to be honest, we're towards the end of an investigation, but we were, we actually know exactly who the people are that set up the profiles and we know where the money's gone. Mm. Um, and so these companies are very, very powerful in assisting governments, people, and organizations in tracking where money is going. Um, and eventually, this is going to be an amazing tool to stop things like money laundering. Key's like, no, 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 we need to launch a chain analysis here in South Africa. I was like, nah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, that's way above my pay grade. <laughs> I'm about sales. It's, a, I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's so, a complicated thing. Yeah, it's super complicated. It's uh, it's it's uh, yeah, not for me. I'm afraid that's all your that's your baby. Okay, cool. So this one came up. Uh, Carat Carat Bars launches the first ever blockchain based laptop, and I I thought this was an interesting um sort of consumer product in the sense that, and I don't know how much it's trying, you know, how much the the space has moved over the last eighteen months since I last covered it. But it, at the time, eighteen months ago, it was all about consumer adoption. You know, and how do you get the man in the street to adopt Bitcoin? And then I saw this and I was like, wow, this is quite interesting. And so this laptop is literally pre-built with a whole bunch of things like mobile wallets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can buy this uh, over the over the counter, which is it's like a pure play Bitcoin transaction type thing. Anyway, um, what what is going on around? Well, firstly, what do you think about this kind of product? You know, is this just a, a vanity case for a couple of people sitting in a small garage somewhere? Uh, and two, um, what is the current state of mass consumer adoption as it relates to the world of crypto? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Okay, so let's answer the first question first. I'm not, I didn't see this article. I'm not very familiar with the product. What I can say is that a lot of big manufacturers like Apple and Samsung are integrating uh, cryptocurrency into their product offerings. The new Samsung phone has got a, a, a crypto integration. I think the iPhone's also got a crypto integration. So what we're seeing is that we know that the phone is the tool that consumers are going to use as their bank account, as their store of value, as their wealth, etc. And as such, all their devices are now becoming crypto-friendly. Let's talk about adoption. Adoption is happening very, 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 very quickly. But unfortunately, the crypto experience is still not ready for real mass adoption. There's still things called the private key, which is a very long, complicated key, which is the be all and end all of your, of your, of your crypto uh, life. If you lose your private key or if anyone gets hold of it, they effectively can steal all your money and they will steal all your money. Uh, consumers have to store it. And that's just one of the many things that is uh, making this crypto world a little bit unusable. Mm. We haven't had that browser moment. You know, like when the internet launched, the internet was nothing until eventually a browser was launched. And when a browser was launched, it made surfing very, 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 very easy. Now, we haven't had that Netscape or that browser moment yet. Um, for people who are financially savvy and in the know, yes, there's a lot that you can do uh, using cryptocurrency. But is it ready for user mass adoption? I think probably within the next 12 to 18 months, it will be. There are a lot of initiatives that are going on right now. So I think that now that the hype is over, we need to zoom back 
and we need to look at, you know, how friendly the space is for consumer adoption and build it so that it becomes friendly for consumer adoption. This technology can do a lot, but we don't have enough tools to drive this car properly uh, yet. And that's what's so exciting about the ecosystem is we're having fun investing and building in these people that are building these amazing tools that are, that are making this new financial system uh, a reality. Mm. What is this? What is VOBP? So voice over blockchain protocol. Have you come across that before? Never heard of it. I, I must, again, I must confess, I haven't read this article, so I don't know about them. I do know this company called Carrot Bars. Uh, mm. They seem to be doing a whole lot of stuff. Um, yeah, not sure, not sure specifically about this one. Uh, also, this one, this this piece of news wasn't on my radar, so mm. not sure how relevant it is. Gotcha. <laughs> um, cool. So there's a lot of talk also in in the, in the news. I've seen the same sort of you know news come out and across a number of different platforms over the last week or so. But it's all around this idea of Bitcoin is less volatile than in the previous you know quarter, um, and so. You know, Bitcoin's volatility, as it says in the article, is descended to a level only preceded by the low readings in early May. How does one treat it? What, how, well, firstly, why is, you know, Bitcoin volatility an important thing from an investment perspective? And then should we pay a lot of attention to volatility or where does one start to shift and pivot one's thinking from an investment perspective? So volatility is, uh, it depends which way you're looking at it, whether you're looking at it from the one side or from the other side. If you're a trader, you want volatility because that's how you make your money, right? But a lot of the, the criticism that Bitcoin has got over the years is that it's been too volatile. So people say, oh, why don't you put your money in Bitcoin? Oh, no, it's too volatile for me. Mm. Now, Bitcoin for the last couple of months has been stable. But again, I say, let's zoom back. In the beginning of this year, Bitcoin was trading at about 3,500 US dollars. Today, Bitcoin is trading at about $10,200. That, that's tripled in a year. Now, I'm not sure how many other assets have actually tripled this year. All right, so we've had two or three months where Bitcoin has hovered around the $10,000 level. Um, I think that's a very short period of time to be celebrating the fact that, that the volatility has died down. Mm. And knowing Bitcoin, hold on tight because one way or another, this thing's going to start moving either up or down very, very quickly. So I'm not convinced. What is What causes the volatility? Why Bitcoin was more volatile in the old days was because there was less adoption. Now, naturally, when you have less buyers or less sellers, it means that, you know, in a buying cycle, if you've got less sellers, it means the price goes up very quickly. And in a selling cycle, if you've got less buyers, it means the price goes down very quickly. Now, now that we have many, many, many more people using Bitcoin, obviously, the markets become more efficient and volatility has died down. But that said, it's still a very immature young asset class and we can expect more volatility and you know if you're not um, bitcoin as an investment uh, should be a very small percentage of your wealth uh, unless you have got a very big pair of kahunas in which case you know like me you can go all in I was going to ask you <laughs> I was going to ask you that exact thing cuz you actually tweeted that I was like I'm all in on crypto are you still all in on crypto all in yeah, of course. Look, I mean, I work in crypto every day. So, you know, I work, I, I work with young companies and we, we help them build, we, we, we are helping them build out a crypto ecosystem. So mm. by virtue of the fact that that fact, all my time every day, 24 seven is spent in the crypto ecosystem. I mean, also I've got a significant amount of my wealth now in crypto. So, I mm. mean, I'm all in, but that's it. What I encourage everybody to do is to treat this as a very risky asset class. And as such, to diversify accordingly. I mean, you know, only put in what you can lose, put in a very small percentage of your wealth. This is probably one of the more risky asset classes you're ever going to invest in. Yeah. Do you feel um, that cryptocurrency, uh, currencies and, you know, lesser blockchain, but the crypto trading space from a consumer perspective um, has lost a lot of its excitement? How does one, how do we rekindle that, do you think? Well, again, it's funny that you know the last time we spoke was at the top of the bear, uh, top of the bull market mm. um, a few times, and everybody was interested. And then the prices went down, and then no one, and then you know interest died, 
Google searches died. I mean, if you if you go into your screen and look for Google searches on the word Bitcoin, you'll see that mm-hmm. it exactly follows the market. Funny enough, what we need to what we need to understand is that you know the average consumer is only here for the price action and for the adrenaline, and very much not for the technology and, and the underlying thing. And so, as prices go up, the quicker they go up, you'll see that uh, the more interest there will be. I know this because I see it on my show. Mm. The higher the prices and the more the volatility, the more viewers I get on my show. And in periods like this, where the markets are flat, the viewership goes down. Yeah, it's. Um, I see. Looking at, I see. Looking at the past five years, you'll see that there's going to be a massive peak uh, yeah, in 2017 and 2018. Yeah, right there. Big now, if blue you, line. I mean, you can't do you can't do this now. But if you could overlay a Bitcoin price curve around this, uh, you'd find that the Bitcoin price curve looks exactly the same. Well, I think it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that that's what was driving the search term and the interest, right? <laughs> you know, I always say that my litmus test for the man in the street is CNBC now. If you watch CNBC International, for the entire bull market, all they wanted to talk about was Bitcoin. As the market went down, they, didn't, they, 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 they had no more talk about Bitcoin. The slots of the show, in the Bitcoin shows were gone. The little ticker at the bottom, which has the Bitcoin price, was gone. As soon as Bitcoin went from 3,000 to 10,000, the slot's back, the ticker's back, and Bitcoin's back on every U.S. medium. Yeah, it's, um, I suppose it's natural, right, from a consumer perspective. You know, everybody wants to get rich quick, which is also exactly. a double-edged sword, right, which is hence why so many people lost their shirt in that whole as long as you're not As long as you're not the last bunch at the table, you'll make money. <laughs> and that's a difficult thing to do because people are greedy, right? Damn. Exactly. Speaking and usually, usually when the man in the street gets in, it's time for you to for people in the note to get out. Speaking of being greedy, this one's interesting. Bitcoin not accepted. Burger King's crypto foray short lived. <laughs> I don't know if you were following this. I'm sure you would have. Um, but it was a PR stunt from a German branch of Burger King that essentially began to accept Bitcoin on its website and its mobile app. And so essentially you could buy Whoppers using Bitcoin. So from an investment perspective, that is a dumb ass move. <laughs> okay. A, a Whop, well, you know what I mean? Like a Whopper's not going to give you a, about- a 20 times return on your money, right? Let's talk about this. The biggest payment integrators in the world, which are, you know, Square and, and all those guys, those guys have all integrated Bitcoin into their, into their offering. So let's start with that. Okay. But Bitcoin, as it currently stands, and in my opinion, probably forever, is not supposed to be used as money. It's supposed to be used as a store of value. So you should almost look at it as digital gold instead of digital money. The mm. U.S. regulation and many other countries have similar regulations say that every time that you sell Bitcoin or use Bitcoin, say, for example, to buy a burger, that's a capital gains event. It's like selling gold. And if you sell gold, that becomes a capital gain event. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a long way to go before Bitcoin, between, before Bitcoin ever becomes cash, if it ever does become cash. Right now, I wouldn't be using Bitcoin to pay for your burger because not only are you paying for your burger with an asset that is appreciating very, very fast. Mm. But worse is you have to pay capital gains, which is like crazy. So essentially you're paying tax twice. Exactly. (laughs) Crazy. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. What do you think about these private blockchains? Um, You know, when this article goes on to say, guys, that, um, you know, you can't use or trade Whopper coin. And essentially in Russia, again, Burger King, this was an actual thing. It was a Whopper coin loyalty program. On the Waves blockchain, yeah, on the Waves blockchain. So let's let's understand, using a token, your own token as a loyalty program, I think is going to become the status quo. Uh, I think that airline miles and anything where companies want to issue their own a thing are going to be blockchain tokens. Why? A, because the company can limit them. B, because consumers now can see transparently what happens to all the points. And B, because uh, and, and C, because we, the, the coins actually become tradable between one person and another in a very, very simple way. They become almost like programmable money. Mm. So that's the future of, of loyalty programs is very much um, going to be blockchain-related assets. But... Does that mean that, that people are going to pay only using Whopper points? No, you can pay using cash, Bitcoin, or Whopper points. Whopper points should be seen as almost like ABSA rewards or uh, uh, Standard Bank's currency. Uh, 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 sorry, the name escapes me for a second. But, uh, uh, what is it? You, you count rewards. 
You count rewards, exactly. Um, that is what blockchain, what, those will all be eventually replaced by blockchain assets. Hmm. When do you think that's likely to happen, if you were to speculate? I mean, time-wise, probably within the next two to five years, uh, it'll start becoming the norm. Sure. That's interesting, eh? Hey guys, so as digital citizens, we are all exposed to the good, the bad, and the ugly of social media and the internet. Being a victim of cybercrime, cyberbullying, revenge, pornography, etc. can be devastating and scary. But, you know, it's not the full story. We do, in fact, have good news here. There's a company called Save T-Net Cyber Safety, and they help victims for free by connecting you with the relevant experts such as forensic analysts, psychologists, and the right people at the police and legal advisors. This is a for-purpose company, and they also share the cyber safety message at schools, corporates, and everywhere they can, but they do need your help. So get involved. If you are an expert, join their network or let your CSI funding keep this engine going by empowering safety nets to reach more schools and affected people as possible. If you'd like the full story, check out my interview with Ria Net Leibovitz, the founder of Safety Net, right here on the Matt Brown Show. And for more information, visit savetnet.com. Um, so the East has come up quite a lot this this week. Did you hear about Kim Jong Un's holding his second uh, crypto conference event? Are you going to that? No, I was invited to the first one, um, and then when I told them that I want to come and I want to cover the first one, they said, "Look, we, we don't actually allow journalists into Korea, and you're welcome to come, but you, you can't cover it." Um, I haven't yet got my invite for the second one, but pro- I probably will get it. How many people go to that sort of thing? Well, it's, it's interesting because you've got to ask yourself, why do you go to these conferences? Now, I go to the conferences because I'm looking for interesting companies uh, and interesting people who are driving ecosystems. So, for example, I go to Korea a lot and Japan a lot because there's a lot of companies developing on the blockchain there. Mm. When I think about going to North Korea, no one's developing on the blockchain there. So, I think what people are basically saying is, you know, do you want to go to crypto conference where everyone is being imported including the speakers and that's happening in a place like north korea you know is that is that of any interest to you to me yeah i'd love to go there i'd love to see what what all the all the hype and all the fuss is about uh also i'd love to have a few words with kim jong-un but that's probably Mm. another conversation for another podcast let's role play so i'm kim hello hi ran what do you say to me? First words, go for it. First word, I need to know who cuts your hair because I, I, I need to do the same thing. The same thing. <laughs> yeah. And the next question I'll ask him is, why did you kill your cousin? I mean, that's, that's not cool. Okay, you know, yeah, time out, time out, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious, bro. <laughs> he does have an amazing hairstyle though. It's so perfect. Yeah. It's so perfect all the time, and I want I want to have that barber that just like cuts it so Jeez. perfectly, and it never goes grey. <laughs> no, never, no, no. I mean, I mean, yeah, we're talking about King Jong Un, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, clearly, clearly, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but I mean, the other interesting story yep. you've got on the screen is China. You yes. know, um, China is at the central point of, of of a lot of Bitcoin discussions, and I think China is the case in point for why Bitcoin is so amazing. I don't know if you remember, but in two years ago, China banned Bitcoin in China. And Did that they? day, Bitcoin prices shot up a hell of a lot. Why? Because by banning uh, it, what they did was they created a whole lot more demand for this asset that you now theoretically couldn't buy in China. Ironically, the biggest trading volume in the world today comes from China, even after the ban. Huh. So it just shows the power of Bitcoin. You, governments cannot stop Bitcoin unless they shut down the internet. Mm. it's as simple as that when they shut down the formal exchanges in china people started to meet each other in the street and send bitcoin to each other across phones it just shows that is the power of bitcoin it's immutable and it's it it can never ever be shut down Mm. not by any government in the world unless they want to close down the internet which is a little bit impractical at this stage i'd say yeah i think so i think we kind of passed that point some time ago Uh, yeah if i remember correctly they shut down some exchange or something to that effect they shut down all the exchanges i mean you if you theoretically you can't trade on exchange if you are chinese but uh, as i said to you we know that the biggest volume in cryptocurrencies today is chinese well also mining they're the biggest miners as well right or is that also true now or is that still is that changed so I haven't looked at the stats of late, 
Uh, yes, the biggest manufacturers of mining equipment sit in China. Not only that, uh, China um, does have very cheap electricity, specifically in places like Mongolia, which you're looking at here. Mongolia's price of electricity is close to zero. And to make it even better, Mongolia is even is cold, which means that you don't have to create air-conditioned or cooled rooms to run these computers. You just open the window and it's freezing cold. And then your machines can run full, full speed all the time. Um, so, uh, yes, it is. But over time, again, the world is becoming more efficient and people are moving to Russia, to Greenland, to Iceland, to Canada. And even to the U.S., there's many, many mining operations. Mining is a function of cheap electricity. Any government that wants to attract miners needs to give people cheap electricity. Hi there, guys. So Crypto Kung Fu is proudly sponsored by Prime Health and ZA Nootropics. If you're listening to me right now, I know that you, like me, want to get the most out of your day. So whether you're an entrepreneur, a crypto investor, business leader, or simply a regular guy or girl like me trying to build something of value for yourself, you need what I have, and that is a customized mix of premium, high-performance, smart supplements and adaptogens from Prime Health. This stuff is the bomb. So these products have helped me to make every day a success and help, have helped me improve my brain health, cognition, and overall stress management. ZA Nootropics are ready to help you too. So simply head on over to zanootropics.co.za and browse the online store of amazing smart supplements. And I highly recommend the Lion's Mane Mushroom. It will blow your mind. But whatever you buy, enter the code NINJA20 at checkout and you'll receive a 20% discount on your order. I cannot recommend these guys highly enough. So go there now. That's zanootropics.co.za. It's fascinating, this really, this particular one. Mongolia is pretty inaccessible. I mean, I don't know if you've been there, uh, but I watched this documentary. Right, When they built the, the train line that runs through Mongolia to Tibet or something like that for, to China, um, like thousands of people died building that thing because of the weather. It is almost inhospitable. It's fundamentally freezing as fuck. And, um, and so here you got these, like they call it illegal mines, essentially operating in this space. And China's going out there hunting for these guys to shut them down. Yeah, I mean, the Chinese government is schizophrenic about mining and Bitcoin. On the one hand, it's bringing in a lot of money into, into China. I mean, all, you know, all these Bitcoin that are produced in China and then being sold into the rest of the world um, is bringing in a lot of money into China. Um, I think the Chinese government just wants to always be in control. And uh, I think yeah. that's what's going on here. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, we'll cover a couple more and then we'll... I don't know if you saw, I don't know yeah. if you saw, just a very interesting. Yeah, go for There's it. There's a guy called Justin Sun. Justin Sun is the founder of a protocol called Tron. And Justin Sun bid $5 million to have lunch with Warren Buffett. I read about uh, that and today. He, and he won the bid. And he started advertising and inviting his friends. And the rumor is that he canceled the lunch, uh, saying that he had health complications. Um, ironically, he was live on Twitter. And with all these terrible health complications, he was live on Twitter and YouTube. But the, the speculation is that the Chinese government kind of said to him, hey, look, we're in a trade war with the U.S. And here comes this little guy, you know, teaming up with probably the biggest U.S. investor in the world and having lunch with him and publicizing it. And mm. since then, he's gone very quiet about it. So, mm. you know, the Chinese government likes to be in control and they are in control of all their citizens. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty scary what they're doing out there. Um, I believe that when you walk down the streets of like Beijing, there's drones flying overhead. You know what? The, but we don't really know what those drones are doing. <laughs> Facial recognition yeah, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. It's pretty. It's pretty scary, right? Um, just a quick one around this one. So, messaging app Lines Crypto Exchange goes live for 80 million users in Japan. Um, I think it's interesting in the sense that if you think about you know technology adoption period, and then you look at Facebook and the scale that Facebook managed to reach in terms of users and the time it took them to reach like a billion users, as an example, versus WhatsApp. And WhatsApp did it in like, like half the time, it was even less than half the time, with only nine staff and they were doing like a billion messages a day or something crazy like that. And it's interesting, this article for me, looking strategically at it, is simply in the sense that, you know, if you have a messaging app that's a crypto kind of exchange. It's quite interesting in terms of what it could promise around adoption of cryptocurrencies. 
So messaging apps for me are is, is the holy grail in terms of crypto. Why? Because it means that users can exchange money as quickly as they exchange emojis or messages between one another. Mm. Imagine I owed you, imagine I owed you hundred dollars. I'm in the US, you're in South Africa. Imagine I could just send it to you on WhatsApp. And that's really for me the holy grail in cryptocurrencies. Now, Facebook are talking about Libra. I mean, the biggest use case of Libra is going to be on WhatsApp. I have no doubt about it, where you can just send people money across borders, across the whole world. Telegram are launching their own gram or ton cryptocurrency, which mm. is which is hopefully going to come out in October. Um, Keen, which is a big app over here, it has, has its own cryptocurrency called the Kik, K-I-K. Um, so for me, this is like the big play in cryptocurrencies. is people being able to send money to other people across um in a secure way across borders with no transaction freeze using WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I said to you, Mac, imagine that I could send you money over WhatsApp and you'd have the money in your wallet. That's like the coolest thing that could ever happen. It is very cool. What is your view on Libra? Because, you know, at the time, um, you know, I've got the Bitcoin uh, sort of uh, price graph up here. I'm just going to go to the year. But if you look at the last major run that happened after the, our the sort of December uh, 2017 run um, was the, and I asked myself, why is the market moving again? Why is it, why is it bullish? What's going on? And, um, and in essence, what was, what was interesting for me was the fact that the biggest news uh, piece at the time was Facebook Libra. And it just underscored a very simple principle about anything in, in adoption, marketing, and business is the power of story. And what, the, what I, my view is, and feel free to tell me if I'm smoking my socks, but, um, but the, idea, the idea would be, why is that such a – like that is a term that I – you can never mind. I'm not getting into it. I'm talking to Rand. No, not yet. You can wait. Voice of reason. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but it lent credibility to the cryptocurrency space again. It was a big, big story. It was a big story, and it let it set people Libra, like Libra, Libra, Libra and that. Best thing that ever happened to cryptocurrency. Now, regardless whether you love or hate Libra, and whether you love or hate Facebook, Libra is the best thing that could have happened. And let me tell you why. Mm. Number one, Libra has an amazing promise of allowing people across borders to send money to one another using Facebook or their related Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp at no transaction fees uh, immediately. I mean, that's, a, that's probably the biggest financial revolution the world's ever seen, when 2.2 billion people can now send money across to each other with no transaction fees. That said, the minute that they announced that, uh, the US Congress and since then many other governments have called Libra into hearings about you know, the threat that this poses to governments. I mean, can you imagine? Mm. Facebook is launching its own currency in you know to 2.2 billion users that will be the biggest currency used in the world no one will be will be able to compete with that now if you think about bitcoin bitcoin is the same thing as libra except the government can't call anyone in to answer questions because there's no one to call in there's no creators there's no founders there's no central company it's completely decentralized if libra does indeed launch that's amazing because it will drive more people to use digital currencies and that will flow to the entire crypto ecosystem. If it doesn't launch, it's the best advertisement in the world for Bitcoin. Because what it says is, you managed to shut down Facebook's plans, but you can never shut down Bitcoin's plans unless you shut down the internet. Mm. And, and so that's why I think Bitcoin is so powerful, because no matter what happens with any government in the world, they can't shut down Bitcoin. Yeah. I uh, also read recently, thanks to the show, um, that the European Central Bank is coming up with its own cryptocurrency to effectively, you know, be option B, you know, compared to the Libra, should Libra eventually become widespread in terms of availability and access. I don't know if it's becoming instead of Libra. I think that many governments and banks and central banks around the world are in the the midst of launching their own uh, digital currencies to replace this idiotic thing that we have, what we call crypto, uh, paper money. You know, the fact that we walk around with a piece of paper and give it to people and for some reason that paper lasts so long and that it's, 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 it just sounds so antiquated in mm. an age where you can just send around digital assets between one person and another. I mean, we know that the People's Bank of China, which is a Chinese central bank, is launching their own currency. We know that the Bank of India is working on a currency. 
And so I think many, many, many countries and banks are eventually going to migrate themselves to a completely digital world as a digital currency. Yeah. It's an, it's an exciting time. Like I've got a young, I've got two young kids. I really do believe that they won't have a bank account like ever. They'll use a messaging I app. That, I don't think that they'll, I mean, I don't know how young your kids are, but I think when they get older, they won't know what paper money is. And I think they'll laugh at us when we say we used to carry around paper money and silver coins, you know? Oh, and by the way, the coins aren't even real silver anymore. They're like a different metal because silver was too expensive. Like, Dad, what are you talking about? Like, we send money by sending, by transferring an asset over the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I look forward to those days. So that concludes part one, the news. Right, so let's move on to part two, CryptoCat. Cue that sound. <coughs> Ran, stop touching that cat. <laughs> I could... I could say something, but right now I'm going to keep quiet. <laughs> so this is where we keep up with the pound dogs in the in the uh, in the crypto world. Uh, we've covered John McAfee, uh, Craig Wright. We covered, and uh, today your crypto cat that we'd like you to lend uh, your view on is this chap. Who is this chap? <laughs> What's his name? James Jackson Palmer. He's the founder of Dogecoin. Have you not had him on your show? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know who he is. Sorry. I, I know he is. Don't know much about Brad, him. Brad, you've had right? everybody on your show. Come on. Not, yeah, I know. Not this guy. I, I, don't, I haven't had him on my show. Um, I mean, Dogecoin was supposed to be a, a joke, and it's not a joke anymore. I mean, I, I don't have the market cap in front of me, but it's. Let me get that for you. Let me get that for you. It's a pretty significant market cap these days. It's number 15, I believe. Here we go. Is it number 15? Yeah. Uh, I don't know him. Don't know anything about him. Yeah, number... Jesus, it's not not anymore. Oh, here it is. Number 29. Yeah, it's a $350 million market cap. I mean, that's nothing too shabby. Don't know anything about him. So, Mm. unfortunately, going to ruin the party here and say, don't know. Okay. Well, then you can comment on this then for me. What is Dogecoin? How do you pronounce it? Is it Dogecoin? Dogecoin. So, Dogecoin is a... It's a cryptocurrency. It's a it's money essentially. It's money that you can transfer between people, and it's built in a decentralized way, very much uh, similar to Bitcoin. Now, Dogecoin started as a joke, and, and I mean the, the the mascot or the, the 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 thing that people associate is the dog, um, and he's become a meme. You know, like everyone talks about Dogecoin and the meme, and people that see this 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 dogs that look similar to this say, hey hey, I bumped into Dogecoin on the on the streets, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So it started as a, how does a joke wind up being a three hundred and thirty six billion dollar valued cryptocurrency? Please explain that to me. It's I mean look it's there. I was about to say Dogecoin has a very big and very loyal community, um, and you know the thing about money or, or or any of these crypto assets is about a network effect, and a network effect is the more supporters that you have using money, the more people will use it. It's like if you think about. The U.S. dollar, the reason why the U.S. dollar is such an amazing currency or one of the reasons why it's such an amazing currency is because everybody uses it. And mm. the more everybody uses it, the more everybody accepts it. And it's the same thing with Dogecoin. It's, Dogecoin has a very big community. And this community are, are, are quite loyal. And so that makes it quite a, a cool cryptocurrency in terms of uh, usability and stuff like that. Mm. Speaking of um, community, um, turns out that he's actually left the coin community. Um, let me just move this for you. So that's typical. That's typical of, of decentralized currencies. Uh, these, remember, are, are all open source projects. Now, what an open source project means is that nobody owns it, and anybody can use the code, steal the code, abuse the code, uh, add to the code, etc. That's the beauty of this industry. So, even when founders leave, protocols continue to grow. Even when founders run out of money, protocols continue to grow. And that's the beauty of this thing. And that's why Bitcoin is so successful because it belongs to everybody. No one knows who the founder is. No one actually cares. It actually belongs to all of us. We're all equal shareholders in Bitcoin. Hmm. I suppose it's a little bit similar to Satoshi and, the, and Bitcoin, right? Exactly. Okay. You don't need the founder. The founder just launches the protocol. And then, you know, essentially what you can say at that point is your work is done here. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's a nice legacy to have, right? I mean, I'd love yeah. a, a, a brown coin. <laughs> brown coin you can launch one the Matt Brown coin yeah, Matt Brown show coin here we go guys yeah. you can email me at hello at mattbrownshow.com and I'll send you a couple of coins for free <laughs> 
So um, I want to move on to the next thing here, which is called the risk. And uh, this segment is really about um, helping viewers and listeners uh, of the show uh, really understand from your perspective, being at the epicenter of this whole space, what is the single biggest risk in the world of cryptocurrency today? You know, it's so funny that you say that because I was thinking about it the other day and I was thinking to myself, what could put an end to Bitcoin now or really, really, really take the market down? Now, bear in mind, there's a lot of components. Here. The first component here is building technology. The second component is the network effect or how many people are using the technology. And right now, I would say that there's very few things that could ruin Bitcoin. We know the technology is sound. We know it's, it's safe. It's unhackable. It's not bugged. It's, it's not buggy, et cetera, et cetera. We know that even if governments bring in regulation, they can't shut down Bitcoin. And even if they do bring in regulation, it kind of makes Bitcoin more, more wanted and more, and, and, uh, more, ut- and more, more, yeah, more wanted. It increases the demand. So I'm not sure what the biggest threat to blockchain technology is, except that the technology may not be able to handle the volume in its current state. And they are working on what they call off-chain or side-chain solutions to handle the volume. So I think the biggest risk to cryptocurrency is actually its own success. That Mm. if Bitcoin becomes adopted by everybody all of a sudden, it simply can't handle the volume. Yeah, I, I had that thought the other day. I mean, I the thing that keeps me up at night, you know, employing 20-odd people and, uh, you know, looking to expand into other markets next year is this financial system that currently exists. And hyperinflation, we know about. I mean, the thing genuinely ran, like, I worry about this stuff. And I scour BBC. As you and, should, you're a business person. Yeah, man. And it's like, and, and I get so... I get like so much anxiety, right? When I read articles around tremors, I call them like financial tremors where it's like, well, there's a warning and what's the Fed doing with its interest rates? And I think they're meeting this week and they're going to drop it by like two basis points or something like that. But anyway, whatever the case is, like we all know a crash is coming, right? And for me, from what I understand is that because the US economy is hyperflated, its currency so much, so has the rest of the world in order to meet, you know, uh, to effectively trade and not outprice themselves. And so, you know, the, the, the real pessimists in this story will say that when this next collapse comes, it will be far worse than 2008. It will decimate the financial system and some people are subscribing to that idea. And so if they were tr- if that was an accurate viewpoint, and people lost all faith in the financial system. Their pensions were wiped out, savings were wiped out, everything had no value. And um, they would, obviously there would only be two options. One would be gold, right? We go back to gold as a, a form of trading. Um, and the other one, which is probably more likely given the fact that we have such profound technology access today is block, uh, sorry, blockchain and Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, et cetera. But as you say, um, you know, if, we, if it can't handle the scale then where does that leave us when we can't draw cash out of ATMs? So one is that they, there is, they are resolving the scale problem. There's a lot of very smart people resolving the scale problem. So let's, let's park that and, and let's assume that that's going to happen. Um, I'm not as much of a prophet of doom as you are at the moment from what, from, from what you've said. I think that there are a whole lot of issues. I think the biggest issue is negative interest rates, which is coming up in the States. In other words, that means that you're going to pay the banks to give them, for them to hold your money. That kind of sounds like the craziest notion in the world. Mm. Um, unfortunately, there are no other tools that the governments can use anymore because they've kind of all out of, of, ammo, of ammo or arrows in the arsenal. So, yes, I think I believe that there's a correction coming. I want to hedge myself against the correction. Like you say, there's two options. One is gold and one is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a $200 billion market at the moment, or just under $200 billion. Gold is an $8 trillion market. I believe that I want to be in Bitcoin when this happens, because if it only becomes a 10% of the gold market today, then Bitcoin will go up four times from where it is today. And that's where I want to be. Um, And so, again, without being a financial advisor and without giving your viewers financial advice, I believe that everybody should have a very small small part of their portfolio in this asset because if things do go wrong, it is, as far as I know, one of two assets. Um, you know, another thing is 
when you talk about gold, gold is easily seized, except the jewelry gold, but it's easily seized by governments and central banks. How would they seize your Bitcoin? They can't. Mm. Um, and so the real safe asset here is Bitcoin. Yeah, great point. Cool. Let's move on to audience Q&A. So basically, uh, guys um, who have been listening to the show have been going to the Matt Brown Show Facebook page and dropping us questions on um, on Messenger. Um, I've got this one from a chap called Desmond, and uh, I'm just going to play it to you, Ran, and let's see what he needs help with. Although it's not playing. That's weird. Maybe he doesn't need help. You know what? He is just a master of not needing help. <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to come back to to that, guys, on the next show. Or I'll, mess, I'll mail the questions to Ran. And Ran, if you wouldn't mind answering them, that would be great. No problem. Any time, my friend. Cool, man. No worries. So trading the market. We're going to wrap this show up. Uh, so Ran, you've got $1,000 to play with. And um, <laughs> we can't buy every altcoin out there. <laughs> Uh, so uh, what do we do here so we've got a thousand dollars short on bitcoin over a week and that's from tone vase we've got to put another grand into the pot Um, help us make money make the right choice tone vase is always so negative and always so short that I think he's actually becoming shorter in real life from all these shorts that he's taking every time I see him he loses about a centimeter Um, (laughs) look Trading is a function of two things. Trading is a function of what your time horizon and your risk appetite is. Um, and without knowing that, it's very difficult to, 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 to decide what to do with the money. Um, I'm a long-term, if you want to call it a trader, I think I'm much more a long-term investor. And for me, I'd say right now you need to look at two things. A, you need to be in Bitcoin. Um, you know, if the price goes down to 8000 so what? We're thinking this thing's going to go up to 100000 or 200000 or $300,000 per Bitcoin. And then no one's going to care whether you bought it for 10000 8000 8800 And if you're trading until next week, then I'm not your guy. If you're trading in the long term, you've got to ask yourself, which of the protocols are going to get the most usage? And we can see that you know protocols like Ethereum, EOS, Tron, um, obviously Bitcoin, those are all ones that you should be investing in. So generally what I'd say is if you're not an active trader, and I'm certainly not an active trader, I don't trade in and out of things. It's not, not the way I trade. I choose probably the, t- the top 10 protocols um, and I invest into a, a, a weighted average portfolio of those 10 and then just hold it, hold it for a long time. Okay. So what's our trade? Are we going to buy the top 10 altcoins? Yeah, buy the index, buy the index, buy okay. the top 10 index. Buy now. Bye now. Sure, we send uh, Facebook a scathing email about making sure their voice notes do work. You know what? Let's do this. First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's, it's great to see the progress that you've made personally. I remember the guy that I, I dealt with uh, about two years ago, and, um, and uh, I've read a lot about what you're doing, and I think what you're doing is absolutely amazing. I think uh, you show all the qualities of, uh, of, an, of tenacity that an entrepreneur requires, and you mentioned to me earlier today, before we started, you mentioned to me that you still have no idea what you're doing. Mm. And I, I want to say that, you know, I've built a big business and I sold it and I don't have any idea what I'm, I didn't have any idea about what I was doing then and I have no idea what I'm doing now. And I guess that's what it means to be an entrepreneur. But I know that there are probably many questions that your viewers have got. And so what I am willing to do is to put aside another hour or half an hour, whenever you want and uh, let's call it an, an AMA. You can ask me anything. Um, we could probably do it live and get the guys to call in. And, and I'm, I'm very, very, very happy to answer anybody's crypto-related questions because I know that there's a lot of interest mm. um, and a lot of uncertainty in this place and people need some as much help and advice as they can get. Well, that's where we're on the same page. It's all about helping you know ordinary people understand this space, right? So I, like, I, I really do hope that you know people... Do, you know, get to a point where they can really understand the space and the risks involved, but also the opportunities because it's never as bad or as good as what people say. That's correct. You got it. <laughs> Rand Noyne, everybody. Thanks for being on the show, dude. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Matt Brown. 
This edition of the Map Round Show is brought to you by NetworkSpace.co.za. In fact, our studios are here in building number four at Network Space up in Johannesburg. These guys have made us a huge deal, have really bent over backwards to give us the kind of service that most exciting businesses deserve. If you want more information about Network Space, you can actually come and check out our studio. We are always open to meet new entrepreneurs and business owners from around the country, and you can do that right here at networkspace.coza. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.